Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulihil karim Nabiina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Amma ba'd So continuing with our study of Al-Arba'in Lil-Imam Al-Nawwi We are now on hadith number 30 This is the hadith of Abi Tha'labah Al-Khushani Jurthum ibn Nashir Radhiallahu ta'ala an who said that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said, Inna Allah ta'ala farada faraib, fala tudayyuha. Indeed Allah has obligated obligations, and therefore do not neglect them. Wahadda hududan, fala ta'tadooha. And he has set boundaries, Allah has set limits, therefore do not Transgress them. وَحَرَّمَ أَشْيَاءَ فَلَا تَنْتَهِكُوهَا And he has prohibited matters, therefore do not perpetrate them. وَسَكَتَ عَنْ أَشْيَاءَ رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ غَيْرَ نِسْيَانٍ فَلَا تَبْحَثُ عَنْهَا And Allah has remained silent about things as a mercy for you. Without or not out of forgetfulness, Allah has been silent about things as a mercy for you, not out of forgetfulness. Therefore, do not investigate them. Don't go after them. So this narration here, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad's explanation, is divided into seven brief parts. In the first part, the Shaykh, he mentions about the narration itself. The narration itself has some weakness in it, however, it is strengthened with other supporting narrations. The Shaykh mentions the narration that is recorded, recorded in, the, in the Musnad of Al-Bazzar. مَا أَحَلَ اللَّهِ فِي كِتَابِهِ فَهُوَ حَلَالٌ That whatever Allah has made halal in his book, then that is halal. وَمَا حَرَّمَ فَهُوَ حَرَامٌ And whatever Allah has made haram, then that is haram. وَمَا سَكَتَ عَنْهُ فَهُوَ عَفُوا And whatever Allah has been silent concerning, then that is forgiveness, يعني forgiveness from Allah. فَقْبِلُوا مِنَ اللَّهِ عَافِيَةَهِ Therefore accept from Allah His عَافِيَةَ, His forgiveness. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمْ يَكُنْ لَيَنْسَى شَيْئًا Because Allah, He indeed has not forgotten anything. Then the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he recited the ayah, وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيَّا And your Lord is never forgetting. Your Lord is never forgetting. So this is an authentic report. This particular wording here, this that has been recorded in the Musnad of Al-Bazzar and Al-Hakim, يعني in his Mustadrak, this is an authentic report supporting the hadith that Imam Al-Nawi collected. And that is the first part of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin's explanation. The second part is a statement from Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, rahimahullah. What you'll notice from this explanation of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad to the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawi is that he brings a lot of quotes from Ibn Rajab. Because Ibn Rajab has a famous explanation, a thick volume of an explanation 
to this small collection of ahadith. So Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he gets some of the, the pertinent and relevant pointers that Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali points out in his explanation, and he quotes them here. What Ibn Rajab said concerning this hadith is that Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam divided the ahkam, the rulings, into four. He divided the rulings into four parts. One, the fara'id, the obligations. Two, the maharim, the prohibited matters. And three, the hudud, the boundaries, the limits. And we'll explain what this means shortly, inshallah. And the fourth is maskut anhu. Those matters that Allah has remained silent about. Meaning Allah hasn't mentioned the ruling concerning them. وَذَلِكَ يَجْمَعْ أَحْكَامَ الدِّينِ كُلِّهَا So Ibn al-Rajab, he said, these four here, they collect, they gather together all of the rulings of the deen. These four categories that the Messenger alayhi salatu broke down for us and he outlined for us, in it all of the rulings of the religion are found. In fact, Ibn al-Rajab, he quotes from one of the earlier scholars, who said that there is no hadith, there is no hadith that is as comprehensive as this hadith is in collecting and gathering together all of the usul of the deen and the furur of the deen. There is no hadith that is as comprehensive in gathering together the foundations of the religion and the branches of the religion as this hadith is here. Why? Because the religion essentially consists of this. And we'll go into detail in, uh, concerning this in a second. The religion consists of, number one, those things that Allah has made obligatory. Number two, those things that Allah has made prohibited. Number three, those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has set boundaries, set limits for. Within this third category, there are several other ahkam that are contained within it. And as, as, as I said before, we'll expound upon this. And number four, those things that Allah has remained silent about. So what does this mean? Well, as for the first matter, those fara'id. إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَىٰ فَرَضَ فَرَائِدْ فَلَا تَضَيِّعُوهَا Indeed, Allah has made mandatory the obligations, therefore do not neglect them. Well, that's self-explanatory. Now, now we're entering into the third part of the Shaykh's explanation. That's self-explanatory. Those things that Allah has told us to do. Farad is essentially synonymous in meaning for wajib. Some of the scholars, they may differ, and some they may say that fard has a certain definition and wajib has another definition. But as Shaykh Uthaymin, he said, in reality, they are both synonymous in meaning. Indeed, Allah has made the obligations mandatory, the fara'id mandatory. What are the fara'id? Yani the wajibat. Those things that are mandatory. What's the definition of the, the fara'id? What's the definition of the wajibat? What's the definition of something that is 
mandatory. Something you must do. The definition of Fara'il, Sheikh Ridwan has given us it. He said it is something that you must do. Fantastic. Very good. Who can add a bit more detailed detail to that? Go on, you're on the right line. If you don't do it, if you don't do it, you'll get punished for it. That's half of it. He's given us the half of the Usuli definition, the de definition by the scholars of Usul al Fiqh. Uh, that's half of it. If you don't do it, uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you don't do it, you'll be punished for it. If you do it, you'll be rewarded for it. If you do it, you'll be rewarded for it. Okay? So that is what the fara'id are. If you don't do it, you'll be punished, like Salah. If you do do it, you'll be rewarded. If you don't do it, you'll be punished. If you do do it, you'll be rewarded. So those, we can have many examples of them. Can you give me an example, Sheikh Abdul, um, Sheikh Ammar? Example of a, something that Allah has made mandatory. The fara'id. Something that Allah has made mandatory. Give me one example. Fasting in the month of Ramadan, mandatory. Praying five times a day, mandatory, and so on and so forth. Number four, the part four to Shaykh Abdul Muhsin's explanation is concerning the statements of Allah's Messenger. Allah has set limits, He set boundaries. Therefore, do not transgress them. Meaning there are boundaries for certain things that you do as a Muslim. There are boundaries for certain things that you do. What things? Three things. Wajibat, Mustahabbat, and Mubahat. There are boundaries for these three things. There are boundaries for the Wajibat the mandatory, obligatory things. There are boundaries for the mustahabbat, the recommended, voluntary deeds. If you do them, you'll be rewarded. If you don't do them, you won't be punished. Like fasting outside of the month of Ramadan, the voluntary fasting, fasting Mondays and Thursdays, fasting every other day, voluntary fasting. Ayam al and so on and so forth. There are boundaries for those mustahabbat, those recommended voluntary deeds. And likewise, there are boundaries for the mubahat. There are boundaries for the allowed things, the permitted things. What's the definition of the mubahat? What's the definition of the permitted things? Somebody else other than the two sheikhs. What's the definition of mubahat? Sheikh Imran. Erfan. Say that again, Akhi. No, for the Mubahat. Tamam, you've given us the definition of the Mustahabbat. If you do it, you'll get rewarded. If you don't do it, you won't be punished. You won't be punished if you don't make voluntary fast. But if you do do it, you'll be rewarded. Afan, I have to stick with Sheikh Erfan. He's, he, he was on a roll. Uh, Sheikh Erfan. Definition of Mubahat. The permitted matters. Allowed matters. Can I move on to the brother or? Yeah? Come on, he's passed the book on to you. 
Yeah. So if you don't do it, you won't get rewarded. And if you do do it, you don't get rewarded. You don't get rewarded, you don't get punished for doing it or not doing it. يعني, uh, as the asal is concerned, the foundational principle of it is concerned. Okay? Examples? Drinking water, huh? sleeping and so on and so forth. Okay? Tamam. So now, so now those are the mubahat. Those are the permitted matters. These three matters have hudud. They've got limits. They've got boundaries. You can't just perform number one, the wajibat, as in how you want, whatever you want to do, whatever quantity you want and so on and so forth, and think that there is no limit to it. There is no boundary to it. No, Allah has set boundaries even to the wajibat. You can't just do the voluntary deeds, the mustahabbat, the recommended deeds, and think that there is no boundary to it. There are certain boundaries that Allah has set for certain voluntary deeds. You can't just perform, number three, the mubahat, the permitted, allowed things. Thinking that there isn't a limit to them, there isn't a boundary to them. No. Allah has set boundaries for them. Allah has set limits for them. Therefore, do not transgress them. So some examples to clarify the principle. Allah has made mandatory five daily prayers. Allah has made mandatory the salawat al-khamsa. The five daily prayers. He set boundaries for them. He set limits for them. They are five. Don't transgress them and add a sixth mandatory prayer for the day. Maghrib is three raka'at. That's a had, a limit, a boundary that Allah has set. It is not for you to transgress those boundaries and add an additional unit, add an additional raka'ah and make maghrib four raka'at. Wadih? You understand now? There are things that Allah has made mandatory. Don't transgress them. Stick to the limits that Allah has set. There are things that Allah has made mustahab. He's made recommended for you to do. But there are certain limits you'll find. So it's allowed for you to fast voluntarily, isn't it? You can fast voluntarily. There are certain limits. There are certain limits. Do not fast on Eid al-Fitr. Is it allowed for you to fast on Eid al-Fitr? Not allowed for you to fast on Eid al-Fitr. That's a had. A boundary that Allah has set concerning that particular voluntary deed. La ta'taduha. Don't transgress it. Mubahat, permitted matters. Allah has allowed marriage. Allah has allowed marriage. He's allowed you to have one wife. He's allowed you to have two wives. He's allowed you to have Three wives. Maybe, Ikhwan, we should turn off the speaker on the other side. I don't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed you to have even four wives. But then, has he allowed you to have five wives? Ah, la. Hadda, haddan. He has set a limit now. He has set a boundary now. What is the limit? What is the boundary? Four wives. If you go beyond that, i'tadayt. You've gone beyond the boundaries that have been set by your Lord. You've gone beyond the limits that have been set by your Lord concerning something that is permitted. Permitted for you to marry. But there is a had, there is a boundary. 
permitted for you to eat whatever you want of the goodly things. But there is a limit, there is a boundary. Don't eat carcass, don't eat swine, don't drink khamar and so on and so forth. So point being is that Allah Jalla has set hudud for the wajibat, number one, for the mustahabbat, number two, for the mubahat, number three, He's also set boundaries, don't go beyond those boundaries. And then Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says that essentially going beyond the boundaries is committing the haram. Going beyond the boundaries is committing the haram. If you go beyond the boundaries, then you have essentially done the other thing that the Prophet talked about, which is the muharramat, the prohibited matters. Therefore, don't perpetrate them. If you've gone beyond the boundaries, you have committed the haram. Wadih? Is that clear? Yes? Tamam. Number five. Number five. Part number five of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbas explanation. Allah has made matters haram, prohibited. Therefore, don't perpetrate those matters. This is something that is uh, self-explanatory. All of those things that Allah has made haram, He has said it is haram, He has declared it to be haram, then it is not allowed for the Muslim to fall into those haram things. As the Prophet has said in the other narration that we studied a few weeks, months ago, that uh, The Prophet said, whatever I have prohibited you from, then keep away from it. Part number six, part number six. This part is concerning the statement of Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, when he said, وَسَكَتَ عَنْ أَشْيَاءَ رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ غَيْرَ نِسْيَانٍ فَلَا تَبْحَثُ عَنْهَا And Allah has remained silent about things as a mercy for you, not out of forgetfulness. Therefore, don't inquire about them. Don't investigate them. Don't go after them. Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he said, أي هناك أمور لم يأتي النص عليها في الكتاب والسنة فلا يشتغل في البحث عنها والسؤال عنها There are certain matters concerning which no mention of it has been made in the book of Allah. No mention of, no mention of it has been made in the sunnah of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Meaning there's no mention concerning its ruling in the sharia as a whole. There is no mentioning concerning its ruling in the Islamic law, in the Islamic legislation as a whole. And therefore a person should not preoccupy himself and busy himself in investigating those things and asking about those things. An example of that is what we have studied before. That example of when the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he informed the companions about the obligation of performing Hajj. So one of the companions, they asked, in every single year, meaning 
Are we to perform Hajj in every single year? The Messenger remained silent. And the person asked again and again. The Messenger remained silent. And then the Messenger he said, if I was to have said yes, then it would have become mandatory, would have become wajib, would have become uh, an obligation. And then the Messenger والسلام, he continued to say, ذروني ما تركتم فإنما أهلك من كان قبلكم كثرة مسائلهم واختلافهم على أنبيائهم The narration that we've studied before That suffice, the messenger said suffice With that which I have informed you concerning With that which I have left with you Meaning the legislation that I have left with you Because the thing that destroyed those who came before you Was the excessive questioning Was the excessive questioning And their differing with their prophets the people that came before, the thing that destroyed them was their excessive questioning and their differing and their, yani the contention that they had with their prophets. So therefore what we learn from this, what we learn from this is that in the time of the Messenger والسلام, this hadith applies such that the companions were prohibited from Asking about those things in which there wasn't any real need to ask about. For example, Hajj. Allah's made Hajj mandatory. Has He mentioned explicitly whether or not you have to perform Hajj every single year? Did He mention that in the time of the companions? He mentioned you have to perform Hajj. Did He mention that you have to perform it every single year? He didn't mention it. Ah, that means what? allowed for you to perform Hajj once a year twice a year three times a year Allah has left it open now if it was the case that the companions asked the messenger alayhi salatu do we have to perform it every single year even though Allah Jalla has left it open as a mercy for the believers if the companions asked do we have to perform Hajj every single year and then the, and then the messenger would have replied yes in that circumstance it would have become wajib and it would have become difficult for the companions and for us the believers in generations to come. So therefore those matters that Allah remained silent about in the time of the companions, then that was such that no burden is placed upon them and the believers that come after them. How about now? How about now? Does it still apply now? After the time of the companions? Yes, even now. Why? Because of the fact that a tanattur being over meticulous and fastidious about religious matters is something that is prohibited. The messenger said in another narration, um, be aware, be aware of a tanattur, be aware of being over meticulous, going, in, going into excessive detail concerning the religion because that destroyed those who came or that or the messenger said the people that are those that go into excessive detail over meticulous about details very fastidious about the minute details they destroy themselves they destroy themselves especially when a person is just about to start practicing the religion 
He's just about to start growing his beard. He's just about to start praying. She's just about to start wearing hijab. And then they start being over meticulous about the mustahabbat, about the recommended deeds, being overly excessive concerning them. That type of person you're not going to find being adherent to the religion for a sustained period of time because he already still needs to, needs to develop as far as the mandatory matters are concerned. So let him first fix those matters and then he can start being detailed about the, about the, about the minute details of the religion. Another example of that is the matters of the unseen. The ulama, they say, that this is applicable to the matters of the unseen, the matters related to the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the matters that are related to the attributes and the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a person, he reads that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ar-Rahman ala al-Arsh istawa, the ever-merciful rose above his arsh. This hadith is now applicable when a person starts to delve into the nature, the modality of Allah rising above his throne. So he says, how, how does Allah actually rise above his throne? What's the nature of Allah rising above his throne? Allah descends to the nearest heaven at the last third of the night. How does he do so? Allah descends. Uh, on the, يعني, when the people in, uh, invoke Allah on Yom Arafah, how does he do so? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said in his book that he has a face. What does his face look like? What is the nature of his face? Did Allah mention anything about the, the kafiyah, the modality and the nature of his face in his book? No. Did Allah upon the tongue of his, men, uh, of his messenger mention to us, communicate to us by the Prophet how he actually rises, how he rises and how he descends? He didn't do that. Ah, sakata anha. Allah remained silent about those matters. Therefore, don't go into them. Don't investigate them. Don't uh, attempt to research those matters that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has remained silent about. Because the, thi because the thing that is mandatory upon you as a believer is not identifying the nature and the modality behind the attributes of Allah, the intricate natures behind the unseen. That isn't what is mandatory, mandatory upon you. If you want to know what is mandatory upon you, then go to that ayah, that, that well-known ayah, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I did not create the jinn nor humankind except for them to worship me. That, that is what you are mukallaf with. That is what you are burdened with. That is your responsibility. That is what you could be rewarded or punished, punished for. For what? Al-inqiyad. A taslim. That is all you're, you're burdened with. To submit and to surrender. You hear that your Lord says something, He provides you with information concerning the afterlife. What do you say? Sami'na wa ata'na. We hear, we obey. That's it. 
Some people, they go into excessive detail concerning the hikam, concerning the ilal, concerning the wisdoms behind Islamic legislation. Is there a wisdom associated with every single act of worship, every single Islamic legislation? Yes, of course. Because the one that legislated Islamic legislation, he is Al-Hakim. He is the most wise. And therefore, every single Islamic legislation, every single Islamic belief has wisdom associated with it. Has a purpose associated with it. There are hikam behind it. There are justifications and reasons behind it. But you're, you as a Muslim, you're not burdened with having to learn and identify the, intellect, the intellectual wisdom behind them. The only thing that you're burdened with is to submit and comply. So when your Lord says to you, pray to me five times a day, all you're burdened with is, yes, my Lord, I obey. You hear that your Lord says, give the poor to you on an annual basis, all you have to do is say, yes, my Lord. You hear and you read that your Lord has commanded you to perform Hajj. Yes, my Lord. Make tawaf around the Kaaba seven times, not eight times, not five times, not three times, seven times. Yes, my Lord. Perform Sa'i between Safa and Marwa. Yes, my Lord. Shave your head or trim your hair after having performed Sa'i. Yes, my Lord. That is the nature. That is the command that you have been commanded with as the human being. That's the burden that you have been burdened with. To submit, to surrender, to give yourself up to your Lord by complying to his commands. As for identifying the wisdom behind every single Islamic legislation, you're not burdened with that. Do they exist? Yes. Is there a study? Is there a field of study that discusses the hikam, the wisdoms behind the Islamic legislation? Yes. Al-Qawaid al-Shari'a, the Maqasid al-Shari'a, the goals behind Islamic law. Yes, it exists as a subject of study. That the Talib al-Ilm that is entering into that level of study can, can, can go into. However, generally as a Muslim, are you burdened with that? Are you burdened with having to identify the wisdom behind Islamic legislation? You're not burdened with that. In contrast to what the Aqlaniyun say. In contrast to what the uh, Aqlaniyun say. The so-called intellectuals, the Mu'tazila and those type of people. Huh? The philosophers, the philosophers and, what, and those people of that ilk. But you have to, if it doesn't coincide with your reason, if it doesn't coincide with your intellect, reject it. Leave it off. Only accept that part of Islamic legislation, they say, that coincides with your reason. But your reason is weak. Your reason is limited. So when you were 20, your reason said something to you. When you were 30, ah, your reason, it said things aren't like that. Things are different. When you're 40 or 50, later on in life, you change your opinion. The opinion that you had based upon your reason. So you can't rely upon your reason. Because your reason, it is limited. Your reason, it is restricted. Based upon extensive experience, that reason... The opinions that it had before, they change. And therefore you can't base your religion upon, upon 
Al-aql. You can't base it, base it upon soul, upon your, upon your intellect. So therefore, the scholars, they say, that this matter here, that Allah has remained silent about things as a mercy for you, don't investigate them. Don't go after them. This is in relation to the time of the companions, them asking about things that Allah had remained silent about, for them to remain silent about those things so that they don't become obligatory. Likewise, after the companions, those things which are excessive detail, asking excessive detail concerning those matters that Allah has remained silent about. You know that you have to, or you should perform a umrah. Person shouldn't be asking, uh, 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 how many times do I have to perform umrah? You know that Allah loves umrah for, from you. Therefore, perform it as much as you can. If you can do it every year, then do it every year. If you can do it on a biannual basis, do it on a biannual basis. Likewise, what this narration, it's uh, 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 from the matters that the ulama have mentioned concerning it, is asking about the matters of the unseen. Asking about the matters of the unseen, about the nature of Allah's attributes, the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise, what the ulama have mentioned as far as this is concerned, those matters that Allah has remained silent about, He hasn't mentioned anything concerning it, are those matters behind which there is absolutely no benefit behind them at all anyhow. From a religious perspective, from an Islamic perspective, from the uh, aspect of your afterlife and reward or punishment in the afterlife. Because that's what it all come, boils down to, isn't it? You want to know, when you look at the companions, they say, O oh, Prophet of Allah, tell me about those things that will earn Allah's love. Tell me about those things that will enter me into paradise. So the questions that you ask, they're, upon, they're based upon that premise of what will enter me into paradise and save me from the fire of hell. Those other questions that are not even connected to that. There's no fa'idah, there is no benefit behind those questions and don't go after them. Don't ask those type of questions. Like for example, the questions of like Imam Abu Hanifa was asked, when do I, when should I break my fast? When should I break my fast? Imam Abu Hanifa, he says, when the sun sets. So the man said, what if the sun doesn't set? Any benefit behind it? No benefit behind it. Those type of questions, there's no benefit behind them. It's not going to benefit you in the, that's the, that's the standard that you use. Is it going to benefit me in the afterlife or not? Is it, going to, is it going to get me closer to Allah or not? Is it going to get me into paradise or not? Is it going to save me from hellfire and so on and so forth or not? If it's not, why are you asking in the first place? All those questions that people ask. Is it the case that uh, there are aliens? Do aliens exist? Are aliens our brothers and do they exist? And you'd be surprised. There's no benefit, however, behind these type of questions at all. Or the question is that, did, what does Islam say about dinosaurs? Did dinosaurs exist? You'd be surprised, Ikhwan. People ask these type of questions. Do dinosaurs exist? Did dinosaurs exist? What does Allah say about dinosaurs? What does Islam say about dinosaurs? Fihi fa'idah. Any benefit behind No benefit behind it. I remember on, a, on an occasion, a man, he approached me at, at the da'wah stall in Leeds. 
and he approached me and the uh, atheist, not a Muslim, atheist, he says, Islam, this Islam, يعني it is, يعني he says it is nothing. Upon what basis does he say it's nothing? This Islam, it's nothing, it needs updating, it's nothing. Huh? And he's made certain statements of discredit against Islam. I say, what do you mean? He says, what does Islam say about dinosaurs? What does Islam say about dinosaurs? Does the Quran speak about dinosaurs? I said, dinosaurs? He said, yes. Does Islam speak about dinosaurs? What's he done now? He's made the subject of dinosaurs the standard to be able to determine whether a scripture is true or not, whether a religion is true or not, whether a way of life or an ideology is true or not. <clears throat> he has such yaqeen in dinosaurs to such an extent that he's made it as a, as a standard, as a furqan, as a criterion to be able to determine what is true and what is not. If, if, if a religion is true or not. And he said it with such yaqeen. I said, dinosaurs. He said, yes, Islam. What does Islam say about dinosaurs? I said, I said, Dino, I said you mean the dinosaur that you were riding on at Bingley Roundabout the other day? He said, what? I said, you mean the dinosaur? Yeah, I said, dinosaurs. He goes, you know, di he goes, said, you know dinosaurs, don't you? He says to me, you know dinosaurs. I said, yeah, dinosaurs. Like the one that you were riding on at Bingley Roundabout the other day. He got confused. He said, no, no, no. He said, I mean, you know, dinosaurs, dinosaurs. I said, yes, like the one that you were riding on the other day. He said, don't you know dinosaurs? I said, look at you. You're saying it with such certainty as though you were riding the dinosaur the other day or as though your friend got a dinosaur from Auto Trader the other day. So you have khabar. You have a chain of narration, an authentic chain of narration between you and the dinosaur, the one that got the dinosaur. You don't even know. All you have is these fossils. You don't even know yourself. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But now you can clearly see yourself that you just have faith in what you've been told. Faith from what the, uh, what do you call, archaeologists have told you and the scientists have told you. You yourself, not basing what you say about dinosaurs based upon your own empirical uh, investigations. You didn't investigate it yourself. You say it based upon faith. Faith in what the scientists and the archaeologists say. You don't know the evidences yourself. So point being is that you can't use the dinosaurs as a furqan, as a standard to determine what is true and what is not. And therefore, it goes without saying that for a Muslim to be asking such a question, it's even sillier. For a Muslim to be saying, did Allah, why did not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make a mention of dinosaurs in the Quran? Why did not the Prophet mentioned to us about dinosaurs. He mentioned so many things. Why? There is no benefit behind it. It's not going to benefit you as far as the afterlife is concerned. Therefore, limit yourself. Develop that knack. Develop that knack of asking those questions which are going to benefit you in the afterlife. So that there is the, uh, essentially the end of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abba's explanation to this hadith. Part number seven is a summary of the benefits. Four quick benefits, not 14 benefits like, like, like last week. Four quick benefits, if you note them down, those, are, those of you that are noting them down, and then, and then we'll close. Number one. أَنَّ مِن شَرِيعَةِ اللَّهِ مَا هُوَ فَرْضٌ لَازِمٌ يَجِبُ فِعْلُهُ وَعَدَمْ إِضَاعَتِهِ 
So from the Sharia, from the Sharia of Allah, are those things that are absolute obligations. You have to do them, and you cannot neglect them. From the Sharia, are those things that are absolutely mandatory. You have to do them. You can't neglect them. Number two. أَنَّهُ يَجِبُ الْوَقُوفِ عِنْدَ الْوَاجِبَاتِ وَالْمُسْتَحَبَّاتِ وَالْمُبَاحَاتِ فَلَا تَتَجَاوَزْ إِلَى الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ Number two. You have to stop at the wajibat, the mustahabbat, and the mubahat. You have to stop at the mandatory matters, and the recommended matters, and the permitted matters. Therefore, don't transgress beyond them into the muharramat, into the prohibited matters. There are matters that are mandatory, matters that are recommended, matters that are allowed. There are these three categories. And they have limits. Don't go beyond them, because if you go beyond them, you're essentially going to commit a haram. Number three. أَنَّ كُلَّمَا حَرَّمَهُ اللَّهِ يَتَعَيِّنَ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمْ تَرْكُهُ وَالْإِبْتِعَادَ عَنْهُ Number three, that every single thing that Allah has made haram, every single thing that Allah has made haram, it is upon a Muslim to abstain from it and refrain from it, to leave it and abstain from it. Every single thing that Allah has made haram, it is mandatory upon the Muslim to leave it and to abstain from it. Number four, أَنَّ مَنْ لَمْ يَأْتِي فِيهِ تَحْرِيمٌ وَلَا تَحْلِيلٌ فَهُوَ عَفْوٌ لَا يُسْأَلَ عَنْهُ Number four, those things concerning which there is no explicit evidence talking about it being haram, talking about it being halal, then that is a afu from Allah. That is forgiveness from Allah and it is not something that needs to be investigated. Tamam. Anything need repeating? Nope. So, inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll continue. We'll move on to the next hadith, a tremendous hadith about the dunya and abstaining from the dunya. A very, very uh, beneficial narration, uh, very relevant to the society that we live in. So, inshallah ta'ala, we'll discuss that hadith, bi-ibnillah. Next lesson, wallahu ta'ala, a'lamu sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.